Good morning. Welcome to Alive Family Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Woo! So excited to be up here. For those of you guys that don't know me, um, my name is Jason Cash. I am the worship and media tech director here at the church, and uh, I'm so excited. And I've got to say, worship team, you guys crushed it. You guys crushed it. The spirit is in this place. God is in this place. And one of the things that just really stuck out with me is that song, God, I trust in you. Amen? I want to challenge you guys this morning. Do you trust God? Do you really trust God? Do you trust everything that he has said? Do you trust God more than circumstances? Do you trust God more than everything around you, more than your job? Because God is our provider, amen? We should have the most trust in God. We should have the most trust in his truth and in his word and what he said will come to pass. But that's a challenging thing, right? It's hard. It takes faith to trust something that we haven't seen, that we may never audibly hear from, that we may never visibly, physically experience. But God is real, amen? And so I challenge you, do you trust in him? So Right now, we're in week five of our series, Flawed Heroes of Faith. I'm super honored to be able to be up here to wrap this up. In week one, Pastor Eric talked about Samson, how God used him even though he was disobedient and womanizing, and it ended up costing him everything. And yet in spite of that, God still showed his redemptive mercy. So good. And week two, Pastor Eric had talked about Joshua, Caleb, and the spies, the importance of not complaining and watching our tongue. I don't know about you guys, that was a challenge for me. It's hard to watch what we say sometimes. It, just, it literally just comes out. But what does the word say? Out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. And so what's in your heart? In week three, Pastor Eric talked about Gideon and how the word of God builds our faith even in extreme circumstances. And then last week, Ian brought an awesome word on Isaiah and how God has a plan for your life, just as he did Isaiah's. Although that plan might not look like your plan. Amen. But God's plan is always better than our plan. And so this morning, I want to I talk about one of my favorite characters in the Bible, somebody who's in the Hall of Faith in, in uh, Hebrews 11, and that's the prophet Elijah. Who, who here has heard of Elijah? Heard, okay, a couple people, a couple people. Elijah, it's, he's, he's an incredible man. And so we'll dive into this, and we're going to take a look at what he did in his lifetime. During his lifetime, he brought the truth and the word of God to a generation that was only looking at facts and only doing what they selfishly wanted to do. And so before we get into that, let's pray. Father God, we just come before you this morning, and I'm just so grateful and thankful and in awe to be in your presence this morning. Father God, that we can come and we can worship you, that we can love you. Holy Spirit, do what you want to do in this place. But Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would remove the blinders from our eyes, remove the veil, Break down the walls and the barriers holding us back from hearing you and hearing your word, Father God. And as we delve into the word of God, as we delve into truth and what truth looks like in uncertain circumstances, Father God, we just trust you and rely on you and ask you, Father God, to just build us up in our identity and who we are in Christ, who we truly are. Not what the world says, not what other people say, but Father God, what the truth of the word of God says about us and our lives and how we're to live and serve and honor you. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Okay, so who was Elijah? And so if we look in Hebrews 11, verses 32 through 34, it said, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jepheth, and also of David and Samuel and of the prophets. Pause. The prophets. That's where Elijah's at. He's right there. 
In verse 33, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to fight the armies of the aliens. And so there in that hall of faith, it's talking about the prophets, the prophets that literally changed kingdoms, that through God, through his power, set people free, got them back on track. And so Elijah was a mighty, mighty prophet during a very turbulent time in Israel's history. And this was a time in in Israel's nation where they turned away from God and they were worshiping a false god named Baal. Their king at the time, Ahab, had actually formed an alliance with a, a neighboring country called Sidon marrying their princess Jezebel. And so they were the two rulers over Israel. It's interesting to note that Israel was also a separate nation than some of the other kingdoms of God, like the kingdom of Judah and some of the other tribes. And so this is just Israel that we're talking about. And Elijah was sent by God to show Israel the evil of their ways and encourage them to return to the Lord. And so during this time, the children of Israel obviously had fallen away from God. They're serving a false god. They're serving Baal that was brought in by this queen from a neighboring country. So who was Baal? Who is this false god? So Baal was designated a god of fertility. And not just fertility from like reproductive circumstances, but fertility also of the land and of crops and of things growing. So he was considered a god of life. Now, we only know that there's only one god that can create life, and that's our Lord, period, end of story. However, they were looking at this as an answer to their needs and thinking, oh, he's a God of life. He's a God of fertility. He can bring our crops. He can bring rain. And actually, that was another one of his names. He was called the Lord of the rain and the dew. And that's super important for this story because during this time, Israel was in the middle of a huge drought. They had no hope. They had no rain. They had no water. They're desperate. The facts of the circumstances were there was no rain. There was no crops. What do we do? Oh, how about we worship this God who is the God of water, the God of the dew, the God of moisture. And so instantly, that was the enemy's in to get to the hearts of the people. And so here we have a false God, and we have the true God. We have Yahweh, Yeshua, who had performed so many miracles for the children of Israel, setting them free from the slavery in Egypt, protecting them by splitting the Red Sea, drowning the army of Egypt in the Red Sea behind them as they were leaving, leading with pillars of fire and smoke, feeding them in the wilderness for 40 years. We'd literally seen generation after generation see these huge miracles of God with their own eyes. You, know, you and I today, we might never see something like a giant pillar of fire leading us across the land, right? Yet we know God exists, and yet they were able to see that. What a faith builder. And yet, they still allowed their hearts to get to a point to where that wasn't enough. And now they're serving a false God. So how is it that after generation and generation of seeing God move, were they so deceived? Because they were looking at facts, not the truth. And they were looking at what was popular around them, following the masses, and instead of allowing God to set them free and to work for them. And so this morning, what I really want to do is I want to look at what is truth? What are facts? What is truth? So if you put that slide up real quick, facts versus truth. So oftentimes when you hear the word fact and you hear truth, you're going to think they're, they're synonymous. They're one and the same. Like facts are true. Facts support truth. Truth is a, truth is a fact, right? For our intents and purposes today, I want you to think of them as two completely separate things. Often they're used interchangeably, but really, there's a difference. And so think of a fact 
as simply being a piece of information used as evidence or as part of a report or maybe a news article. And truth, truth is that which is true in accordance with fact or reality, the quality or state of being true. Truth is true whether you want to believe it or not. Whereas a fact can support the truth, but not every fact is truth. And then you can go even farther, and we have this thing, especially in biblical theology, called absolute truth. And an absolute truth is a fact or a truth that cannot be changed. If it is true now, it will be true for all of the ages. And so when we take a look at God and his word, God is truth. Therefore, he is true for all of the ages. His truth doesn't depend on circumstances. It doesn't depend on emotion. It doesn't depend on what's going on in our lives. It's true whether we choose to believe it or not. Amen? And that's a challenging thing. And, you know, even this morning as I was, as I was praying and I was preparing, I was talking with, with Ian, and I'm, I'm, I'm going, you know, I'm a little nervous this morning because there's a weight to truth. There's a weight to how heavy truth can be and whether we choose to believe it and receive it or not. And so facts can support truth, but not every fact is truth. There are undeniable perfect truths, and, and that's almost a dangerous thing to say in the society that we live in, right? That there is absolute truth, that there is truth that disagrees with other people. And you know what? That's okay. We don't need people to, to, to bring validity to the truth of the word of God. It's valid because it's true, period, end of story. And so in our day and age, you know, it's hard to find what the truth is, especially whenever you have people all over saying, you can just live your truth, just live your truth. Whatever it is, you can find it, find it for yourself. Whatever's true to you, you do that, you do you, you know? Or, or how about like, I'm, I'm just manifesting this. I'm manifesting my truth. I'm, I, you know, and I've literally, even just this last week, I had people tell me, like, oh, I'm so excited. I'm like, I'm manifesting this trip. I'm like, I'm just, I'm like, I, if I believe it hard enough, it's going to happen. And you know, the sad thing is, there is truth to that. Because it's a system that God created. It's a system of sowing and reaping. It's a system that if you sow, you're going to reap from that. It's not manifesting. It's sowing, following God's system, having faith and trust in him and allowing him to bring that thing about. But the problem is, is the world has perverted it and inverted it and tried to create it themselves instead of following the truth of what the word of God is. And so the sad thing is, is we're created to believe and receive blessings. We don't have to try to create them. All we have to do is just trust God. And, you know, and, and honestly, what the most dangerous thing is, is all of this is us saying, God, I don't need you because I can do it on my own. I can create it on my own. I don't need you, God, because I'm my own God. And all this stems from what the enemy put in motion clear back in Genesis when he tricked Adam and Eve into eating from the fruit of the knowledge of the tree and good and evil, effectively convincing them that God was trying to hide knowledge and goodness from them, effectively tricking them that you can become your own gods. You can know the difference between good and evil. You don't have to trust God. You can do it yourself. And that's one of the biggest lies that's prevailed through history. And, you know, it was funny. I was, I was, I was watching um, Wasting Time on Instagram this week, going through reels, and this little reel popped up, and it, was, it caught my attention because it was a dark room, and it was a bunch of people in just this, like, half circle, and the moderator asked a question, and the question was super simple, super simple. The question was, do you think the devil is evil? Do you think Satan is evil? If you do, go ahead and take a seat in one of the chairs that was in the middle of the room. 
And I'm sitting here going, like, this is, like, the easiest straight-A answer for me. Like, ding, yes, the devil's evil, period. You know, that's it. Only one person out of the 12 that were there sat down. One out of 12. And yet, when they sat down at the table afterwards to discuss it, they were laughing at him and mocking him and saying, how could you think the devil was evil? And this one, this one person said, well, you know, I, how do we know the devil was evil? We weren't there. We don't know what happened. Like, all we have is what the Bible says, which is that the devil is evil, but we don't have both sides of the story. So we don't know. And actually, and then they even went on to say, well, you know, if you think about it, actually, it's really the devil that's good because he's the one who gave us knowledge. Like, God was trying to hide stuff. God was the one holding stuff back. This is the world we live in. This is a world that we're questioning so much the truth and the goodness of God that we can't even decide if the devil is good or bad anymore. And you know, here's the thing. Jesus never said, live your truth. He said, I am the truth. Jesus never said, believe in yourself. He said, believe in me. Jesus never said, follow your heart. Do what you want. He said, no, follow me. Jesus said, Never said, be true to yourself, be true to whoever you are. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself. Jesus never said, as long as you're happy, do whatever you want to do. He said, no, what will is a prophet if man, if he gains the world and loses his soul? Amen? Jesus never said, live your truth, manifest it, do it on your own. He literally came and died so we didn't have to. He came and died so we had freedom, so we had peace, so that we could live in truth. We could believe in him. We could follow him. That we could deny ourselves to be able to walk out the gifts and callings that God has given us so that we won't lose our soul in the end. We'll spend eternity with him. Amen? That's what truth is. You cannot live or create your own truth or manifest your truth and have it align with the truth of the word of God and what he's called you to do. But yet, that's exactly where we found the children of Israel in trying to follow Baal instead of following God. And so point one is we cannot create the truth. We were created in God's image, and God is a creator. Therefore, we are creators. However, we can't create truth. God created that system for our benefit, for our blessing, before we even came into existence. We are created to create. But there are certain things we don't have to worry about creating because it's already set in motion. It's already a system that's developed. And that is truth. And so I want to take a look at this first story. And it's a lot of verses here really quick. So we're just going to go through this as fast as we can. But this is the story of Elijah on the mountain. And so basically what happened is you have King Ahab, you have Jezebel, who are creating this whole false narrative for the children of Israel by having them worship the God of Baal, literally to the extent that you have 450 priests of Baal that are dining with the king and the queen on the daily. Like, they're leaders in this country, 450 leaders of this country deceiving people. And so, in 1 Kings 18, starting in verse 19, it says, Now therefore, send and gather all of Israel to me on Mount Carmel. This is Elijah. And he said, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So in other words, the leaders of the country. So Ahab sent for all of the children of Israel, gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel, and Elijah came to them and all of the people, and he said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. 
But if Baal is God, follow him. Because you also, at this point, had children of Israel that are like, oh, I trust God, I believe in God, but I'm also going to worship Baal. I'm going to do both. I can do both and. We can do both and, but that is not a both and that you can do. There's one God, period. And so then Elijah, verse 22 says, Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let us give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces for a sacrifice, lay it on the wood on the altar, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull, lay it on wood, and put no fire under it. Then as you call upon the name of your gods, I will also call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, literally lighting fire, lighting the altar, he alone will be God. So all the people answered and said, it is well, it is spoken. So they're like, okay, okay, cool. I'm going to grab some popcorn and see what happens. This, I'm down for this. Like, like, this is an easy way to decide. Whichever one does it. So again, but again, this isn't walking by faith. This isn't trusting in God. This is God literally having to show you, hey, hello, I'm real. I'm the real God. And here we have Elijah confronting King Ahab and Jezebel, and, and, and he's saying, will you follow God, or are you going to continue to live your truth? In verse 25, it says, Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose only one bull for yourselves, prepare it, for you are many. Verse 26, So then they took the bull that they were given, they prepared it, called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they leapt around the altar that they'd made. So, so picture this. You have 450 people around this altar, maybe the size of the bump out on this stage. 450 people screaming and yelling, Baal, send fire, Baal, are you real? Jumping around, leaping from like 6 or 7 o'clock in the morning to noon. Nothing's happening. I don't know about you guys. I probably would have gotten tired by then. I wouldn't have been leaping around much at that point. You know, but nothing was happening. And so then, verse 27, and, and I love this, because if you tell me that the Bible doesn't have humor, um, we're about to read some. So verse 27, it says, So it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and says, Cry louder. If he is a god, maybe he's meditating, or maybe he's busy, or maybe he's on a journey, or perhaps he must be sleeping and you need to wake him out. So here's Elijah sitting here going, I know this thing isn't going to get lit on fire. This is ridiculous. How, how, maybe he's asleep. Hey, hey, Baal, wake up. Nothing's happening. And so then, uh, and then, and, and here's the really sad part too, is in, in verse 28. So then they cried aloud, and then they cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances, until blood gushed out on them. And then when midday had passed, they prophesied. And then until the time of the offering was at the evening sacrifice, there was still no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. And so then in verse 30, we see Elijah said to all of the people, come near me. So literally, it's been an entire day. Nothing's happened. They've literally inflicted harm upon themselves, trying to manifest their truth, trying to believe in this thing that isn't real. And Elijah said, people, come near me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes and the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. And then the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he put a trench all the way around the altar, large enough to hold two seas of seed. And then he put wood on it 
cut the bull in pieces, laid the bull on the wood, and then told people, fill four water pots with water, and then bring it, and dump it all over the bull. He said, now do it a second time. Now do it a third time. And they did it, and there was so much water that it ran over the altar, drenching the wood, filling the trench. And so it came to pass that at the time of the offering and the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came to the Lord and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you alone are God in Israel. I am your servant, and that I have done all of these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that these people might know that you alone are God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. And then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, consumed the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal, do not let one of them escape. And he seized them, brought them down to the brook of Kishon and executed them there. And so here we have God perform this miraculous miracle of literally obliterating, not just lighting it on fire, because he's like, I'm God, watch me show up. He obliterated the water and the dust on the ground. And see, here's the thing. The devil cannot create. Only God can create. The devil can pervert and twist the systems that God has created, so it looks like he can create, but really what he's doing is he's just perverting those systems that God has created, trying to attack the hardest, the things God created for the blessing of man. The family unit, families, music, the arts, personal identity, gender, Only God can create. And we see this in this story of Elijah boldly declaring the truth when nobody else was saying it. And just as the children of Israel were deceived by the prophets of Baal, we have an entire generation being deceived by a message that we can save ourselves. And that we can create our own truth and create our own identity. When it's God saying, I have already made you perfect in my sight. I've created you in my image and set forth a plan and a destiny for you before you were even born. That's God's will for our life. That's truth. That we can't, we cannot create our own truth. We have to lean in to the truth of the word of God and find our identity in him, amen? So point two, really quick. Point two, there is rest in truth. And so what happens to Elijah after this incredible experience and he calls down the the fire from the Lord and he gets rid of all these false prophets? You'd think that would build some faith, right? That he'd be standing there and he'd be thinking, all right, God's got my back. I'm good. We're good. And yet in in 1 Kings 19, verses 1 through 8, it says, And Ahab and Jezebel, the king and queen, were told what Elijah had done, and also how he'd executed the prophets with the sword. Obviously, Jezebel's going to be a little mad at this point. Obviously. So then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of those prophets that you've killed by tomorrow at this time. And when he saw that, he arose and he ran for his life and he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. So what did he do after this giant faith-building experience? He runs away. He gets afraid because, well, and I don't know about you, I thank God, and I pray I never do, never had anybody earnestly try and kill me. You know, if I did, fight or flight is probably going to kick in and I'm probably going to run. And you're going to see one of the fastest people in Livingston County. You know, just, just saying, you know. <laughs> But 
Verse 4, he said, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. And he said, It's enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. I'm no better than the people that have been living in sin, following a false god, because of what I've done. Because I saw what you did. It should have built my faith, but I'm too scared, and now I've run away, and now I've wrecked the witness that you just created. I need to die. How many of us let ourselves get so overwhelmed by life that we just sit on the couch sometimes and just don't know how to keep going? How many times have we let ourselves get so overwhelmed by emotions and trying to keep up with everything going on that we just feel like we can't keep going? And so what does God do? And this is what I love so much. Is in verse 5, it said, Then as he lay and slept under the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. And so he ate and drank, and he laid down again. And then the angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him, and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you for where I'm calling you to go. And so he arose, and he ate, and he drank, and he went with the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And so here we see Elijah allowed fear to get him into a place where he thought death was the best option. But what did God do instead? God sent him food and water and told him to rest. He said, bro, here's, here's some Gatorade, here's some snacks, take a nap, just rest. Just rest. There is rest in truth. When you don't know what to do next and you feel backed up against a wall, what are some of the best things you can do to take care of yourself? Get alone in God's presence. Rest, eat, drink, pray, nap. Process directly what God is telling you away from the voices that are around you so that you may have the most direct influence from God talking to you in that moment. And this is why Sabbath rest is so important. This is why it's so important to build in time during your week to just rest, time to just get before God's presence and to just hear what he's saying. Allow him to speak directly to you. Because here's the thing, who are you listening to and who are you allowing to speak into your own life? And I even mean your own thoughts when I say that. Because I don't know about you, but my head runs a million miles an hour sometimes and just trying to silence my own thoughts, let alone all the people around me, is enough. It really, it really is. But here's the thing. It's hard to hear God's voice when you've already decided what you want him to say. It's hard to hear God's voice. It's hard to hear truth when you've already decided what you want him to say. When you get in God's presence, when you Sabbath, when you rest, come with an expectation to hear from God, but don't come with the expectation of your own heart. Come with an expectation of, God, whatever you're going to tell me is what I receive and what I'm going to listen to. Whatever you tell me is what I'm going to follow. I'm not going to come with an expectation or a rhetoric of how I think you should deal with this situation. I'm going to come and empty myself so you can fill me with your expectation. Amen? There is a difference. There is a difference. And it's so incredible because then suddenly what happens after he has this moment of rest? In verse 13, suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been zealous for the Lord. This is Elijah speaking. The Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and yet they still seek to take my life. And the Lord said to him, go, return to your way to the wilderness of Damascus. 
And when you arrive, anoint Hazael king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Yehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. Now, king, there's already a king over Israel. You have Ahab. But this is God saying, no, I'm about to correct this. Anoint him, king over Israel. And Elisha, son of Shaphat, Abel, Meloha, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Yehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Yehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 here in Israel whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. So when Elijah was full and when he was rested, what did God do? He gave him the plan. He gave him the plan. When you rest, when you don't know what to do, rest. Empty yourself of your expectations to allow God to fill you with his expectations and he will give you the plan. And it's hard because what do we have to do? We have to trust. We have to trust that God is going to give us the plan. That takes faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. It's easy to see a 10-step plan on paper and be like, oh, okay, I'll go go over here. I'm going to do this and, and done. No. God doesn't always work like that. He might sometimes. But when we rest and we allow God to fill us, he'll give us the plan. And that's exactly what he did with Elijah. He ordered his next steps, told him where to go, who to see, what to do, who to appoint, all because he took time to rest and receive. And so my last point here, my last point is there is hope in truth. There's hope in truth. There's hope in the truth of the word of God. Amen. One of my favorite stories of Elijah, it's in in 1 Kings 17, is talking about this widow. So then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. Pause. Sidon was the neighboring country that Queen Jezebel is from, right? So now we're in the land where Baal was the only God. And yet that was the false God brought over to Israel. So we're in Sidon and God tells Elijah, go and dwell there. See, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose, he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called out to her and he said, will you please bring me water in a cup that I may drink? And as she was going to get it, he also called her and said, and please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread. I only have a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm currently gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son so that we may eat it and then die. Here we see a woman who has no hope. She's a widow. Her husband is gone. She obviously doesn't have any family to care for. She doesn't have any money left. No one is helping the widows. She has nothing. She has a little bit of food. And, and honestly, think about this because as I read this, it boggled my mind because if I'm thinking, if I go to my pantry and I have one can of soup left, my first thought would not be, I'm going to make that can of soup for me and my family and then we'll die. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't think that. I would think, okay, I have one can of soup left. I need some help. Who can I reach out to? Who around me can I go? Maybe if I'm not working, maybe I need to start working. If I'm working and it's just not happening, just, but, but how can you let yourself get to a point to where there's no hope and death is the only option? And yet that's where she was. And so Elijah said to her, do not fear for go as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterwards, make some for yourself and your son, just as you have said. 
For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So if you remember, what is Baal? He was a God of moisture and water. How were these people so easily deceived into worshiping him? Because the facts said we're in the middle of a drought, we have no water, we have nothing. What is our only hope? Oh, how about we worship the God of water? That was the in for the enemy to completely take over and to try and, and, and bring this false God in. And so here's the incredible thing. So she went and did exactly what the word of Elijah said, and she and her household ate for many days because the bin of flour was never used up and nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the God which he spoke by Elijah. So what were the facts in this situation? This woman had no food. She had no provider. She had no hope. She was poor. No one would help her. She and her son were literally preparing themselves to die. But what does the truth say? The truth says, I'm going to send someone to be your provider. I'm going to take care of you. And Elijah, who served a living God, came to bring her a message of who her provider was and her comforter and that she was going to be okay. There's a difference between facts and truth. Facts may say you're sick, you have cancer. What does the truth of the word of God say? You're healed from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. The facts may say, I have no idea how I'm going to pay this bill, even though I'm working. Well, you know what? We serve a God of truth that says, I own the cattle on a thousand hills, and your provider and your source is not your job. I'm your source. Let me take care of that need. But it takes trust and believing in the truth of the word of God. And the truth of God lived through Elijah towards that widow, and it gave her hope and helped build her faith. And so this morning, I don't know what bin you have that's empty. It may be a bin of finances, and you have no idea where that money is going to come from to pay bills. It may be a bin of fear, and you just can't find your peace. It may be a bin of sickness, where you just you feel like, I'm always sick. My kids are always sick. My, my spouse is always sick. I just it, it, We can't get over it. Trust in God. Facts produce fear, but truth will always produce faith. Stop believing in the facts and start believing in the truth of the word of God. So God, we just come before you this morning, and I just thank you for the truth of your word, Father God. The truth of who you said you are, who you say we are, Father God. That through you, we can't save ourselves. We can't do it all on our own. We weren't designed to do it all on our own. But Father God, you give us strength. You give us mercy. You give us the grace to walk out the calling that you've placed on our lives. And Father God, I thank you this morning that, that blinders are being removed. And you're lifting the veil, Father God. And you're helping us to see the bins in our lives that are empty, that we're not trusting you with, that we're not seeing truth in. And Father God, help us to see the truth of the word of God. Help us to see who we are as in, in Christ and in identity, Father God, that we're sons and daughters created with a plan and with a purpose. Father God, that we were created for more than just suffering and that we don't have to toil and we don't have to strive and we don't have to work too hard for it. All we have to do is just trust in you, Father God, and believe in the truth of what you said will come to pass. It's said in the word, Father God, that you're the same yesterday and today and forever. So if you did it then, you're going to do it now. And Father God, we just believe in that and trust in that. 
and believe in the truth of who you say you are and who you say we are in you, Father God. Amen. Amen.